Hey guys, it's good to, good to see you. I don't, I don't do a whole lot of preaching. I, I, I have a really strong bias towards teaching environments that are more interactive and discussion oriented. And uh, so anyway, part, part of that is just I love the learning that happens when we're talking together and so preaching doesn't really suit that so much. Uh, but then also, especially when we're in uh, difficult topics, I just because I work in human communication and reconciliation and people relating to each other, I realize you know just how easy it is to uh, for things to be misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied, and uh, and plus I just know myself how how often I get stuff wrong. So that kind of freaks me out in environments where people can't just correct me immediately. So anyway, so with that, just know this is a tough passage. I'm really glad to be here and give you what I've got. It's a point of view on a, on a tough passage. But uh, if I say anything that uh, you want to talk more about or that rubs you the wrong way or, or whatever, please know I'm super approachable and would love to talk more about it. So uh, with that... Um, you've been in James, and uh, just in terms of context, one thing that we know about James is integrity matters a whole lot to James, right? It's uh, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also, right? I mean, you say you got faith, but there's not words that line up with that faith. If there's not actions that match up with the words that you're saying, like, that's no good. And it's so stark, he says, uh, actually, faith without works is dead. So that's pretty binary. It's pretty dramatic terms. We're not used to always hearing uh, things in that manner. But that's James is coming from that point of view. Uh, the other thing with James is, you know, and you've been in it, in it so far, like community really matters a whole lot. Probably number one way that uh, integrity, the matching up of faith and actions plays out is in how we treat each other. Right, and it's just a lot in terms of how we treat each other within the body of Christ, and how we treat people who are outside, like rich, poor. There's just like how we handle relationships and interactions, and how we treat other people is a big deal. And uh, the reason for that, I mean, it's not just James; it's really in, in all the scriptures. I mean, relationships are a big deal. There's a lot at stake. And this passage, starting in four, has a lot to do with conflict, but uh, but it follows on from the end of three where he says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Right? And when uh, James is talking about righteousness, it's really righteousness in the biggest sense possible. It really has to do with God's great mission in the world, which is righteousness, making everything right. You know, we live in a world where, where things are not the way they're supposed to be, and so God... Uh, sending Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. So, uh, you know, rightness in relationship between people and God, rightness in relationship within ourselves, rightness in relationship between ourselves and other people and with the, with the environment. So, in uh, the heart of doing that, the heart of accomplishing God's great mission on this earth and what Jesus came to do, uh, the harvest of righteousness, I mean, at the heart of that work is peacemaking. So, you know, Austin mentioned I do peacemaking. Uh, you know, I happen to do a certain measure of peacemaking and as a, as a vocation, make a living doing that, which is kind of crazy. Like, I love it. But I, I always like to point out, like, that's, that's just I happen to make a living doing that. But, but it is actually essential, I believe, to the calling of everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Everyone who professes to be a follower of Jesus, who has um, 
said, wow, I, 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 I'm a sinner, I need a savior, I need the forgiveness of God, I need to be reconciled with him. Uh, what the scriptures teach, Paul talks about it really strong terms in Corinthians. He says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And in the same way that we've been reconciled, he actually makes us, every single one, an ambassador of reconciliation. So we receive peace and we're entrusted with the message of peace and the actions of peace to pass on to other people. And it's a tremendous privilege and it's a calling and there's really not another way. There's not like, well, I'm going to be a follower of Christ but not the peacemaking kind. No, it's just essential to our core identities of people. And then really stunning, he says uh, in that passage uh, that, um, that we're, we're speaking as though God were speaking his very words through us. So there's a lot at stake. So he, he makes peace with us and he calls us to be reconcilers and peacemakers in this world. And so in the business of peacemaking, I mean, that's how, that's how it's all getting worked out. There's a lot at stake just for us personally. Uh, the ways that, that I have grown and matured and been encouraged and made it through difficult times as a follower of Jesus has been in the context of community. You know, it's what, what I depend on to, like, to make it, just to get through. No, we're not built to make it alone. Like Isolation is one of the hardest, one of the toughest things to deal with. It's, it's loneliness, is, that's why it's so devastating. We're meant to be in community and meant to work with each other and help each other out. Specific behaviors that we're called to. You know, we're, we're meant to encourage each other. We're meant to uh, bear with each other's weaknesses, uh, bear each other's burdens, Call to forgive each other, to be patient with each other, to be kind, all kinds of stuff. Lay down our lives for each other. Consider the needs of other people more important than our own. Just all that stuff that doesn't come so naturally to us, but it really should be at the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and live it out in community. And then also not just about us being built up and, and Christians being encouraged, but but really it's you know it's it's the witness to the world that uh, regarding what Jesus came to do. And I, I'm just going to read this prayer. It's probably familiar to you, but John 17, one of Jesus's last prayers before he went to the cross, he says, I do not ask for these only. He's praying to his father, uh, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So there's just so much at stake. In peacemaking and loving each other, it's like that's the way. That's the way the whole world's going to know. So it's just important to understand that's where James is coming from because this this in chapter four. I mean, it's, it's a tough text, uh, and it's so tough because there's so much at stake. It really, really matters. Not just for our personal lives, just not just for the church, but that's the way the whole world's going to know. So the integrity, like we're uh, proclaiming a God of love who's a peacemaker and forgiver, lover of our souls, and we're hating on each other, hating on people in the world, like the mission is compromised. Super, super important.
Okay, so with that, just understanding it's, it's, a, it's a really big deal, then, uh, then it, that starts to make sense of James 4 because obviously James is writing into a situation where there's a lot of behaviors that are antithetical to peacemaking. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And what's going on with these guys is like um, people are not getting what they want. And in response to that are murdering each other. Figuratively, I think, but destroying each other with words. There's slander um, and there, uh, there's quarreling, fighting. There's gossip, slander, people judging each other. The community is eroding because people are not getting what they want. And uh, the, the consequence of that is not just that they're become, they become enemies with each other, people that should be, uh, should be united around a common faith and a common following, a common calling, not just that they're fighting with each other, but the really, one of the real shockers in there, you've really got to let this sink in. Uh, uh, James says you've become friends with the world and therefore enemies with God. So that the implication of the internal fighting is not just you position yourselves as enemies against each other, but you've actually, in so doing that, you've positioned yourself as an enemy of God himself. And we got to, you know, let that sink in because I see a lot of behavior and I'm tempted to give myself a pass on this. I think I can be alienated from another human being and still be good with God. It's easy to give myself a pass on that. You've got to let that sink in, that the implications are not just on the human front, but we actually set ourselves against the purposes of God. Because why? Because he's a peacemaker, because he wants us to love each other, because he gave his life that we would love and we'd be forgiven. And so when we, when we set ourselves in hostility to other people, uh, we're, we're working contrary to his purposes. I'm going to talk some more about that. But, but that's a, situ- a very, uh, very uh, desperate situation, a very serious situation. So it's, I, I liken it. You kind of you got to think about, like, uh, if one of these kids just, like, starts running out of the, out of the building and out towards the street. You know, they, they, they don't really maybe know the consequence of what they're doing, but someone's going to, you know, shout and, and go, go get them and grab them. So I think it's that type of urgency. Like, you don't realize what you're doing. Like, think about it. I'm coming to get you. You've got to stop, right? Because the unity is important. The love is important. And this conflict that you're having is setting yourselves against each other and against, and against God. So... Then thinking about uh, what are the causes then? What causes the conflict? And it's basically two things, pretty simple. Uh, it's selfish desire. Just we, we want something and we don't get it. And this is tough for us as human beings because to be human is to, have, to live with desire. We're, we're not self-sufficient in spite of how much self-sufficiency and independence is a value in our culture fact is as human beings we're vulnerable people and we're interdependent like from the morning from the moment I wake up in the morning uh, I'm I have I'm I'm filled with I just got needs you know I got desires so you know just I'm thirsty I need to eat I need to work I need to get up I need to get dressed you know things need to function I'm dependent on other people in order just to do the basic things in life never mind to be uh, to to uh, be encouraged and have significance in life. To, to uh, you know, to just we're, we're we're dependent on people and things outside of our help, ourselves to give us just survival, just basic human survival and significance. 
So that just creates a situation where, where we have needs that need to get met. And we're living life with other people who also have needs that need to get met. And everybody doesn't meet our needs perfectly all the time. Things don't work out. You know, I don't get, get things fulfilled the way I would like them to be all the time. So we're just in that situation where, where because the world doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, because we don't relate to each other the way we're, we're designed to relate, uh, we just live with uh, every day with some type of disappointment and frustration and with needs that don't get met. So that's all fine. That's just part of life. But in, uh, in the James context, it, the, the, the the d- desire and the disappointment is fueled with a selfishness. Which, in other words, is like, um, okay, uh, not just that I got disappointed, but I-, I actually deserved for that desire to be fulfilled. Like, I deserve to get what I want. And uh, if that costs you something, then so be it. Like, my, it's, it's, it's a situation where the satisfaction of my needs becomes a, a, a primary thing, a preeminent thing. That's the most important thing. And so suddenly I got disappointed, and uh, because I got disappointed, therefore I'm justified in violating love because you didn't give me what I wanted. You didn't talk to me in the right way. You didn't do what I wanted. You didn't follow through. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And because of that, because I'm entitled for that need to be fulfilled, selfishly I am, then now I'm entitled to judge you or to retaliate in some way or to break relationship or violate love because I didn't get what I want. And... The uh, remarkable thing about that is and why it's so really where the deepest, deepest problems come from is like this happens hundreds and hundreds of times every day. It's really not, uh, you, you know, usually the really, really big thing that breaks relationship, like one big thing that happened, one like big horrible thing, and then people are divided. It's, it's repeated. It's the daily, daily grind of disappointments and reactions to disappointments that, that erode the, uh, the love and the integrity in a relationship. I love Tish Harrison Warren, ordinary, uh, what, what is the Liturgy of the Ordinary? I don't know if you guys have read that book, but uh, she, she says it like this, like we get all caught up in these great big causes as Christians, like we're gonna heal the world and we're gonna you know, solve poverty and racial reconciliation, all this stuff. We have these great grand causes, and, uh, but it just becomes, we can barely live life every day, keep loving just in the most basic way the people who are in our homes. And I love, this is my favorite quote in the book. She says, I'm a pacifist who yells at her husband. And I'm like, yes, I so understand that. And she goes on to say, I'm not mad, talking about a you know, fight that she and her husband have. I'm not mad that you threw your shirt on the floor today. I'm mad about the last 300 times you've thrown your shirt on the floor. Or more painfully, it's not just that I'm mad about your criticism today. It's how a pattern of criticism, comment by passing comment, bumps up against my own patterns of sin and woundedness and self-defensiveness. So today's conflict is not a marital crisis. There was no profound betrayal or lie or scandal It's a burr-in-the-saddle conflict over the kind of habitual resentment that, if we let it, just builds up. We start by talking about something casual, then I fret out loud, and then he dismisses it because I fret out loud all the time, and it's a pattern. And then I say something sarcastic, and it escalates from there until both of us or one of us yells, and then one or both of us leaves the room. Repeat, repeat, repeat. 
and she goes on you know to talk about how that gets repaired but that's that's how it happens just the hundreds of times a day that uh where we we're making decisions and to the extent that we make decisions that are driven by selfishness in other words i'm making my desires preeminent and if i don't get what i want i'm going to ding you in some way then that's how it erodes that's how it happens so selfish desires that's the one thing the second thing that's at the heart of all that then is 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 the pride so it's selfish desires fueled with pride and the pride in the way that he talks about it in James 4 is in the form of judgment right and he's talking about you guys you're uh, slandering each other you're talking down to each other uh, you're condemning each other and uh, and you shouldn't be doing that um, you're standing in judgment above each other and not only that but, uh, but really, in effect, the way you're doing that, you're, you're standing in judgment on the law of God. And you think about the law of God, like, but, you know, at the heart of the law of God, how did Jesus summarize the law of God? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of complicated things in the scriptures. You know, a lot of things are mysterious and I don't understand. But that, was, that was pretty clear. You know, and, and I love it that at least at some point Jesus summarized things in a, like a fashion that I could understand. That I love God with all your heart and love each other as yourself. And so if you think about it like this, when, when in the interest of satisfying my selfish desires, I suddenly feel justified in violating love and downgrading you in some way because I didn't get what I want. Then in essence, I put myself above the law of God, which calls me to love no matter what. Even if I don't get what I want, even if I am disappointed, I'm still called to love and to bless even someone who positions themselves as an enemy to me. That's how deep the love goes in the scriptures, right? So uh, we put ourselves in judgment above the law of God. And uh, the implication of that, as he says at the end of the chapter, is like you, you're, there's only one lawgiver and judge. And you're acting like it's you, but it's not you, it's me. It's God himself. So that's at the heart of the hostility with God and with people. There's selfish desires fueled by pride, like I'm entitled, I, I'm the judge, and I get to, I get to uh, define reality, and I get to stand in judgment on you. It's hard to have relationship in that position. Some of the ways that pride plays out, and we could talk about this for a really long time, but ways that I see it uh, just playing out and you know there's themes that just repeat and one of the ways that pride plays out in our relationships that get broken is when there's certainty about issues and about a situation you know we experience certain uh, you know things in a certain way and uh, rather than saying wow this is what I've experienced you know this is the way I think things are this is what I felt this is what I experienced hey what about you uh, we tend to, if I've experienced something, I attach a little story to that and interpretation of that thing, and I know what happened. You know, so I'm not curious, I know. And then uh, our work of peacemaking a lot of times is just, hey, I'm defining reality, this is what happened, and this is what you did to me, and you gotta admit it, and admit that it happened just like I said, and if you can admit that, then maybe we'll get it straight. But if you don't admit it, it just means you're wrong and won't admit it. So, so they're just people are certain, locked into their uh, positions. And this is a lot of what's happening in the culture, right? 
It's like the, 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 uh, the fragmentation and people de- you know, defining who's in and who's out socially and culturally in terms of more and more narrow bands of identity markers, the, so, the, you know, the identity politics, all that stuff. I mean, one level, way of looking at that is that, hey, we're right and all you guys are wrong and we're not really interested in dialogue. We're interested in just proving who's right and who's wrong in a debate and it's argumentative. And that can happen in very personal relationships as well. I'm right, you're wrong, you're either going to admit it or not. So a certainty. Uh, the other thing, another way it plays out is blame. You know, when I'm stuck in pride and self-centeredness, then, you know, I might admit that, you know, I did a little something wrong, but basically it's way more your fault than is mine, right? I mean, it's just obvious, and anyone who's looking at this would know, like, it's mostly, this is, you're mostly to blame for this, and, and if you'll admit what you did, then I can, I can, you know, maybe admit what I did. And a lot of times it comes, it comes across as even like, you're really to blame even for what I did, because I wouldn't have done what I did if you didn't do what you did. Right, so it's just a blame cycle and cycles of blame and defensiveness that repeat and never get disrupted. That's the other thing. And then the, uh, the other thing is really, like I would say, just contempt. And when we really start feeling like, you know, we're better than another person. You know, it's just like, I'm right and I've been offended and I'm blaming you and I'm actually better than you. And that's, that's subtle. We, you know, we might be too sophisticated to say it in that way, but it's, but it's kind of a hierarchy that comes into relationship. And you can't have relationship really on the basis of hierarchy. You know, I don't, you know, it's tough to relate to people when you know they think they're better than you and, and you're, all, you're kind of under judgment all the time. So, uh, so just that, that contempt. I mean, you guys have done... Uh, some of the peacemaking class at times I would talk about this uh, marriage researcher and therapist John Gottman and that's one of the things he talks about in terms of the ultimately the the thing that really is the relationship killer in marriage is if one spouse starts to think they're better than the other one really uh, more righteous more good more right and and that's a killer in, in marriages is a killer in community as well so um, anyway so pride self-centered desires fueled by pride let you get the picture Hopefully, you know, you can relate to that in some way, but we, just, we can't love when those things are in play. So, um, so what's the cure? Right? It's a, it's a difficult passage, but it's not a hopeless passage. And, and so looking at the cure of that, you know, the first thing I would say in terms of the cure is that uh, just awareness about how serious the situation is. And... Um, I don't know if you think about that, but you know, in, in terms of actually being able to deal with conflicts and the brokenness in relationship, I have to be pretty motivated that it matters in order to go and deal with it. A lot of what I see is broken relationships, and then people are you know, quite happy either, one, just avoiding, like just walking away from it, or avoiding the conversation that needs to happen. So I think that's one, there's, so there's not a level of urgency, like this, is, this really matters. And as scary as it is to talk about it and work through it, as difficult, as painful, as challenging as it might be to work on it, uh, it's worth doing because there's a lot at stake for my life, for the other person's life, for the church, for the community, for the mission of God. Like uh, the, the level of urgency does not rise enough to get me over my fear and insecurity and awkwardness hurdles. So that's got to get flipped around. I got to understand there's a lot at stake in these relationships and people are worth fighting for. 
You know, it's, it's, it's work that's worth doing. Uh, people who are different from me, people, you know, people that I'm alienated with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, try to be, uh, in my life, I try to live like uh, Paul says in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Like, that matters a whole lot to me. It really should matter a whole lot to us as Christians. So I know it's awkward, it's hard, it's difficult. I do peacemaking, like, all the time, working with other people and still the conflicts in my life. I feel that. Like, it's hard. But it's worth it. And you got to have that awareness. Like, it's really tough, but it's, but it's work that's worth doing. And uh, the other thing that happens, I think, when we don't realize what's, you know, what all is at stake, a lot of times it's easy to go on the attack and actually not just avoid the conflict, but actually fuel the conflict with our words, with the inability to have conversations, to be interested in the other person's perspective. So, uh, so that's the other thing. Attacking and avoiding, those things are ways that, I, I, you know, one way of looking at it, uh, when I'm doing that stuff, I'm really kind of, losing my mind because I'm, I'm, I'm minimizing what is really at stake. And so that's first encouragement. It's just awareness and it's tough work. It's difficult, but it's work that's worth doing. Second thing is hope. And uh, the hope, really, I see that in, in uh, the marriage metaphor that's, that's in this passage. Um, he says uh, that God's, God's saying, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Just it uses that image of an adulterous people. So if you think about God as a, uh, you know, as a jealous lover, but not, not in a weird kind of way, like human jealousy, like insecure human jealousy, but, but you know, he's the lover of our souls. Like a, so it's really the, the kind of backstory of that. It's like God coming into relationship with us, not because we were super attractive, not because we were even looking for him, right? I mean, we were, in fact, not interested in his advances. He's like a lover of our souls, you know, pursuing us. Uh, we're not interested, and we're actually hostile to his advances, but he perseveres through that. And at the expense of his own son, says, no, I, no there's, there's pieces available. I want a relationship with you. You know, I want to forgive you. I want you to enjoy me forever. I want to make your life right. And so he's, he pursues us and he wins us to himself. He makes peace. He reconciles us to him. And then, uh, and then in spite of all that, like we still have this uh, wandering heart. We still have this, uh, this heart that is prone to uh, alienation from him and from other people. And, and, and we're turning. So that's, that's the image in that passage is uh, like God is as our great lover, our faithful, great lover, and, and us as his bride. And we're turning away in, in our in our. Failures to love each other and failures to love the world, you know, we put ourselves in hostility to the lover of our souls. And uh, so the thing that's hopeful about that is like, one, he says, that he, you know, he, he takes it seriously. It's like you're, you're in your failure to love, in your hostility towards other people, it's not okay. So really in the strongest terms in this passage saying it's, it's not okay that you're doing that. But I also want you to hear that in the very, very strongest terms possible, he's also saying, I want you back. And you can come back. And my response to your running away, my response to your breakdown in love is love. I'm still for you. I want you to come to your senses. Like you're living in hostility with each other and with me. Come back. There's healing. He's put a spirit within us, and he's jealous for that spirit. Like, in spite of our proneness to wander and to break love, to violate our relationships, he's saying, come back. I'm still jealous for you. 
I still want you. Nothing's changed. So just be encouraged with that. You know, if you're stuck in something, you have a relationship that's, that's broken down. You know, I don't know what the next step may be, but there's hope. And the first thing we always got to do in terms of hope is, is, is realize what's, going, what's happening between us and God. And I got to get that right first. And when I get that right, then I might have the courage or wisdom, insight, grace, humility, something to actually go and approach that other person. But uh, I just, you know, you hear the message of the gospel. God, a jealous lover, and though we violated love, he continues to love. And he tells us to come back. That's hopeful. And the other thing... He says that phrase right there, it's like describing this horrible, horrible situation where these guys are hating each other, and he says, but he gives more grace. So if I want you to hear anything, like, you know, that you could take away from tonight, you've got broken relationships, there's hostility, you've, you've realized your temptation to, you know, get overly angry with your kids, with your spouse, with friends, with people in the church, like, he gives more grace. And that's, that's the hope. You've got to keep coming back to that. And then... Uh, so remembering the hope, and then the last thing then is uh, humility, right? God opposes the proud; He gives grace to the humble. So I got to be aware of what's going on. I got to be hopeful. I got to understand that, in spite of I'm, uh, the, in spite of the ways that I fail to love, God still is the lover of my soul. He wants me back. And so the answer then, the next, the next step I got to take when I can realize those things is to humble myself, right? Just admit it. Like, admit the damage I'm doing. Like, stop making excuses. Stop blaming other people for what's going on. You know, stop measuring out proportions of blame. Take responsibility for myself. Like, do what I can do. Um, take it seriously. Stop pretending like all my judgments are right. Stop pretending like it doesn't matter that much that I haven't been kind, that I haven't been gracious. Stop taking it as okay that I'm not forgiving in this situation because it's just so bad. Taking responsibility for my words, my actions, the impact of my life. Being honest about the ways that I have caused pain and damage. And then coming back to God admitting that and saying, please forgive me. The work you're doing in me, keep doing it. Bring healing in my life and help me be just renewed again as a peacemaker in my home, my church, my community. And that's the answer. Humbling ourselves. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Change the behaviors. The cleansing of the hands, I think, is outward. And so the I want to change the behaviors I've been doing. Um, purify your hearts. Stop being double-minded, right? Deliver me from my double-mindedness. I'm saying, I'm saying that I'm following you, Jesus. I'm saying I'm a recipient of your great love, and I'm called to love people, and then I'm hating on people. Like, don't let me be in two minds. Let me be single-minded. Change me in that way. And uh, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. An amazing, amazing promise. So hard to do because we resist humility. We don't like to admit uh, when we messed up. We don't like to admit when we're wrong. But uh, it's so liberating and free. When we realize there's one, there's one lawgiver, there's one judge, it's God. And he, and he gives more grace. And he accepts us back. And why is that? 
really because Jesus is the one who had clean hands and a pure heart. These words here reminded me of Psalm 24. Uh, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? It's he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not given himself to an idol. And Jesus is the one that fulfilled that. He's the one to deserve to be in the presence of God. Uh, and, um, you know, due to our failure to love and all that, we, we deserve the rejection. We deserve to, uh, when we want to draw back near to God, for him to reject us. But, uh, in, you know, in the message of the gospel, and I know you get a lot of that in this setting, and it, and it just, it, it means so much that, uh, that Jesus, the one who deserved to draw near, endured the rejection that we deserved in order that we can receive the forgiveness that he bought and we can find our way back. That, uh, so otherwise, we're not earning our way back into God's presence by being humble enough. Right? It's not like, oh, I just got to feel sorry enough, or I just got to be humble enough, or I just got to get it enough. I just got to get it a little bit. I just got to get it enough to know my need and to know the damage I've got done and to go back and say, God, forgive me. And on the basis of what Christ has done, then that's the very liberating thing that happens. And he's able to restore us and he's able to bring forgiveness. And there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's hope for our relationships and for the work that he's calling us to do. So uh, be encouraged with that. I, I think that uh, that has been the most uh, liberating truth in my whole life is uh, to, to realize more and more the implications of being forgiven by God, the freedom from being, needing to be defensive with other people. You know, the freedom from having to be afraid about certain conversations. I think in my marriage, a lot of problems in, in my marriage early on were related to me being defensive about receiving critique, receiving, you know, criticism, failing in certain ways and having that pointed out. Also, my leadership and my work, just insecurities around, am I going to fail? Am I going to succeed? What do people think? You know, what if people see things differently? And... Uh, so I just, you know, part of the appeal of this is it's not, it's not like, oh, you know, it's not like a slap on the wrist. It's like, oh, we're called to love each other. Come on, love each other. Like, be nice. It's not like that. It's like, it's, it's, it is the most liberating, loving way to live when you realize you got, you know, all your, rep, all our reputation, all my righteousness, all my security, all my life, all my provision for my survival and my significance. Everything's been given to me by a generous God. And he's the keeper of that. He's the protector of that. I don't have anything to prove with other people. I don't have to be afraid of critique. In fact, I want it. I want to grow. I want, I want to be the people I appreciate most in my life are the people not just that always tell me the things I want to hear, but people who challenge me in certain ways and help me grow. And so it's just, it's just so free to live in that way. So that's the encouragement. And uh, I think Ben's going to come up. We're going to come to the table now. But as you come to the table this evening, just remembering that that is uh, the peacemaker. Jesus, the peacemaker, has, uh, has, has bought our way back for all the ways we violate love. And in that is power. No matter how messed up things are in your life right now or whatever, like there is hope and there is healing and forgiveness. Amen?